So Acts Redux, it's the name of our new series. I want to welcome you again this morning. My name is Dion. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online too. Uh, today I want to start off, um, start off this message just acknowledging something that I think is pretty obvious. And, and that, that's this, that our world is in a pretty difficult place. And today I, I just want to brief you with some things that are going on in our world, most of which you already know about. But I think it's just important that, that we put the pieces together of the picture of our world that we're currently living in today. Uh, to start off with, let's just talk about extremism and the rise of extremism in our world, especially the religiously motivated kind. Uh, you know, there was uh, a bombing in Baghdad recently that was after some terrorist attacks in a diplomatic part of Bangladesh. Um, we've had a bombing at the Istanbul airport. We had shootings in Orlando that were apparently were religiously motivated. Um, and then early in 2016, we even had um, some, some bombings in Brussels. And uh, man, this is just a, a small piece, right, of the, the extremism and the violence that comes from extremism. If we really did dot every event, even in 2016, you wouldn't be able to distinguish one dot from the other. Or, or let's talk about the humanitarian crises that are going on in our world. It's a time of unprecedented human need. You know, uh, there's still ongoing turmoil in the Central Central African Republic, um, also South Sudan. Uh, We know there's an ongoing refugee crisis in Syria. But in addition to that, uh, I don't know if you heard, in China this last week, massive floods, over 180 people dead as of my last check, millions of people displaced. And the news is barely picking it up, right? because these crises are so commonplace. We have ongoing human trafficking happening in places like Cambodia and Thailand. Uh, And then over here, you know, this is a year where the El Nino currents and weather systems are are gonna be happening. And and already people are predicting that there will be just huge amounts of human need that happen in the Pacific as a result of changing weathered patterns and and increased storms. And, uh, you know, we're seeing what is billed to be one of the biggest storms in all of the history of the world that's happening over uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Pacific. Uh, not only humanitarian crises, but let's talk about violence in our own country. You know, when I, when I was planning all this, um, there were initially just two dots on this map because uh, I wanted to talk about the violence between police and civilians. And so I had a dot down there in uh, Baton, Rouge, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then also up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then I came in Friday morning and uh, I thought, man... You know, craziness in Dallas, and all those officers shot, five of them killed, and so we put it out there, and then before our our, uh, graphics team, our art team uh, finished making this graphic, um, we heard news in our own city, right, here in Baldwin, of of an officer shot, and you think, what on earth is going on? All of this violence on our own soil, you wonder what people in other places who are living in police states and there's violence between, between police and civilians, like you wonder what they think about America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, where, where there's violence between police and civilians constantly. Well, let's talk about political instability. You know, we're used to talking about a st- instability over here. It's kind of weird to see instability over here, but we know there was that Brexit vote that happened recently, and the UK is leaving the European Union, or at least that's where it looks like, and Scotland's talking about leaving the UK, and all of a sudden there's this instability in what has been a stable part of the world for the last several hundred years. But notice there's another dot over here, Washington, D.C., Right? I mean, we're in the middle of this election cycle where we've got two candidates that a lot of Americans aren't happy about either one of them, There's increased concern about the wealth gap, about just divisions in our country over everything you can imagine. This isn't exactly a stable country 
anymore, at least not right now. And again, it makes you scratch your head and say, what on earth? What on earth is going on? You see, above all of those things, in my opinion, the worst part of the situation of our world doesn't relate to any of those things. It actually relates to the American church. Now, let me explain. Uh, Recent Pew studies say that the number of religiously unaffiliated in America has risen to 23% of the adult population. 23% of adults in America claim no religious affiliation. A third of that number don't believe in any God at all, which is also sharply on the rise. We're seeing all denominations in decline in America. In fact, um, you know, Southern Baptists, United Methodists, Lutherans, all major denominations, they've got different timelines, but they're predicting that if current decline continues at the current pace that it's on, that those denominational structures will no longer be solvent in 20, 30, 40 years. The denominations themselves will fold. Uh, Just get this number here. 200,000 Of 250,000 Protestant churches in America, or 250,000 Protestant churches in America, 200,000 of them, 80% of them, are stagnant or declining. So no wonder denominations are saying we're going to close our door. When 80% of all of the churches, Protestant churches in America, 200,000 of 250,000 are stagnant or declining, the American church has a problem. And just to make this clear, 4,000 churches close each Year. Now, now, I know what some of you are thinking. I just showed you a bunch of horrible stuff, and I'm saying this is the biggest problem. How on earth can I say that? How can I be so insensitive? Here's why I say what I say, that this is, this is the worst part of the situation of our world. Here's why. Because I believe, along with lots of other pastors in America, that I, I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And that's the only reason I do this job. That's the reason that our staff comes to work every day. That's the reason that so many of you serve here on top of really busy lives. That's the reason you give financially, sacrificially to support the work of this church. Because we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And as you think about the situation of the world and what's going on with it, to me that says that our world needs more hope than ever. And the church, at least in America, at least in America, As the situation in the world gets bleaker, the American church is getting weaker, and that's a problem for me. That's a significant problem. But there is another way to look at all of this, the situation of our world. And uh, and, and that's to look at it this way, that the more things continue on the trajectory that they're, they're going, the more things are moving toward a world that once was, the world of Acts. Now, by the world of Acts, I mean the New Testament world, the world in which the book of Acts was written. You see, in the book of Acts, we see a world that look, looks increasingly like, like the world we're moving into, a world of intolerance, of violence, of persecution, of cruelty, of unbelievable suffering. We see a world grappling with, with the effects of globalization and immigration and religious and ethnic diversity. We see it all in the book of Acts. And so today what I want to do is I want to begin to take you on a journey back to a world that is increasingly going to look familiar to us. And here's the best part of this world. That it is a world that in spite of all of its challenges, challenges bigger than the challenges we face today, in spite of all those challenges, it was a world where a small group of people, hear this, a small group of people 
who followed a rabbi who had been crucified, but, but they claimed he was raised again from the dead. A small group of people who followed some crucified rabbi who said he was raised again from the dead, they began to change and have meaningful influence on the world that they lived in. And see, my hope, my great hope for the world that we're living in is if that could happen once, if a small group of people could change the entire world, my hope is that it could happen again. And so today I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, or it'll also be here on the screen, to Acts chapter 1. If you've never read the book of Acts, we're going to look through four key sections of Acts through this series. But man, I strongly encourage you to read the book of Acts. It's one of the most exciting books in Scripture. It's a narrative book, um, so it's telling stories. It's sometimes called the fifth gospel because it, it's, it's recounting what happened in the life of, of the church right after Jesus ascended. The book of Acts was written by a guy by the name of Luke, and Luke was a doctor, very educated, and he investigated the work of Jesus, and he wrote about it in his gospel of Luke. So there's a gospel named Luke. Luke wrote it. And then Luke wrote a second book, a, a second um, story and narrative that, uh, that chronicles what happened after Jesus was uh, ascended into heaven, and we're going to look at that today, the book of Acts. So uh, he's writing this book, but he starts off with a sort of dedication here. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, now Theophilus is either a, a guy, uh, maybe a, a, a benefactor, or maybe Theophilus is just a title. It means, you know, lover of God. And so maybe it's just a title for anyone who would be reading this book who might be a lover of God. But Luke starts off and he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now, it's interesting because he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do from the time, you know, he was born until the time he was taken up into heaven. For most of us, we would think like, well, when Jesus is taken up into heaven, that's when his work ended. But Luke says, no, no, no. That was only the beginning of what Jesus was going to do in the world. And I wonder if you're sitting here today, if, if we could have the same, the same perspective, the same attitude. That the work of Jesus isn't some closed thing that happened back in the Bible times, but that still in our day, the work of Jesus is only beginning. So he says, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, that's what I wrote about before. So after his suffering, after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to the disciples, the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, this is, this is interesting, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I say this is interesting is because the word baptized literally is, is it refers to like a washing and so to be washed with water, that makes sense, right? That's how we do it in our house. We wash with water. Probably the same with you. So being baptized with water, that totally makes sense. Being baptized, being cleansed with the Holy Spirit, well, that's different. And we'll see more about that in a minute. But that must have been really confusing to them. Uh, then they gathered around him, around Jesus, the, the disciples did. And they asked him, so, Lord, let's get this straight. Are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now just put yourself where the disciples are, okay? They've been on a roller coaster of confusion with Jesus. They watched him die. And then on the third day, no, no, he's alive again. And then he's appearing to them and disappearing and showing up in random places. And and that's got to be confusing. And then here he starts teaching about the kingdom of God. And they're living in this broken world, this messed up world, a world that we just described. And and, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And and you got to believe that these disciples are saying, okay, I mean, Jesus, now is the time where you're going to come in and you're going to fix this broken world, right? You're going to bring in your kingdom. You're going to take over. You're going to make everything right. You're going to restore power and glory to Israel, and we're going to rule over this messed up world, and we're going to finally make it right. And instead, Jesus, he starts to to talk about, no, 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 I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and I can't talk about that stuff, and you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, whatever that means, just wait. And then he's taken from their sight. He just disappears. Can you imagine how confusing that must have been for them? And I also want to focus on these words that Jesus spoke, because these words must have been confusing as well. The part where Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That must have confused these disciples. Because these disciples, by and large, they they were from the north part of the country, from Galilee. They were from like the country where they're standing outside of Jerusalem. That's probably the furthest from home they had ever been. These are people who were not highly educated, they were not wealthy, they were not powerful, they were not influential. And here Jesus says, hey, hey, you guys, you guys, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You can imagine them looking around being like, is he talking to someone else, us? To the ends of the earth? I mean, surely if Jesus was looking for witnesses that he would send to the ends of the earth, he could find more credible witnesses, right? He could find more skilled or qualified people. Absolutely. Their minds must have been blown by all of this. And then Jesus disappears. He goes up into the heavens. They're standing there looking up into the sky. We're not going to look at this today, but I'll tell you about it. Angels appear and they say, hey guys, just, just get going. Jesus is not coming back, but you go wait for something to happen in Jerusalem. And so, so they go and they wait for 10 days. Now, I don't know if you've waited for something, you know, test results, if you've waited for something to arrive, uh, for some news, it's hard to wait. Now, imagine waiting 10 days for something that you don't even know what you're waiting for. You're paralyzed, but you don't even know what's coming. You just know you're supposed to wait. How hard is it to wait when you don't even know what you're waiting for, but they go and they wait for 10 days, waiting for something to happen, and then finally, 10 days after, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, something happens. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2 now, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came. Now, Pentecost was an Old Old Testament feast. It was sometimes called Shavuot. It was a a feast of harvest or reaping, a feast of first fruits. Um, It also commemorated, they believed, that um, the day that Moses gave the law, which was 50 days after the Passover, 49, 50 days after the Passover. So it came to be known as Pentecost. So here's this Old Testament feast, Old Testament festival that uh, Hebrew people were getting ready to celebrate. And so the disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other, other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. So uh, they're, they're in the house on the day of Pentecost, you know, there to celebrate a festival, and uh, suddenly this wind comes and fire comes and lands on all of them. Now, now this must be what Jesus is talking about, right? Baptism by fire. Instead of pouring water on your head, uh, fire comes down and rests on their head, and they start speaking in other languages, and, and the Holy Spirit comes and falls on them. Now, now this, is, this is different. This has never happened before like this. That's not to say that this is like the beginning of the Holy Spirit, because it's not. See, they knew about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit existed back from Genesis 1. I mean, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep before creation even happened. And throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Up until now, the Holy Spirit was very selective. The Holy Spirit would be given to a priest or a king or a prophet or a righteous man or woman who was appointed for something. But, but today, this is different. See, on Pentecost, suddenly the Spirit is given to all of the believers gathered in that house. No longer is the Spirit given in a selective way. The Spirit's given to all believers, men and women, to everyone. And then there are these tongues of fire, and then there are these actual tongues speaking different languages. What's that all about? There's a lot of confusion about this in the church. I think the clearest exp- explanation is, What happens in the next verse? So there's fire. They start speaking in other languages. Here's why. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? Because it's Pentecost. It's an Old Testament Hebrew feast. And so they're gathering there around the temple to worship. When, when When the gathering of people, you know, all of these outsiders heard this sound... The wind, the commotion, the the speaking in different languages. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? So so why different languages? Because there in Jerusalem that day, God had brought all the nations to gather around them, uh, to gather around his, his growing church. And suddenly these, these people, they gather around because they hear this commotion and they, they see these Galileans, these people they kind of know about, these uneducated country people, they, they see them and they hear them speaking the gospel, speaking about who Jesus is and what he did, his death and his resurrection, but they hear it in their own language, perfectly spoken by people who have no formal schooling. Impressive, isn't it? But I'll tell you what I think is most Impressive about all this. It's, it's not the tongues of fire. It's not the different languages. It's not the wind. It's not any of that. See, what I think is most impressive about all of this on the day of Pentecost is, is, is what God did to transform these, these believers who were gathered. See, they went from being these confused, fearful, doubtful people, and rightfully so, They went from being people like that to becoming bold and powerful witnesses. People who were speaking about Jesus with boldness. And on that day alone, because of that, 3,000 people were added to their number. To give you context, up to this point, we believe that there maybe were 120 people at most gathered in that house. And on the day of Pentecost, the church grew from about 120 to over 3,000 people. See, a movement started that day. That's what I find most impressive. A movement that began to change the face of the world. And the catalyst of that movement was nothing other than the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been a part of the church 
for a while, then maybe you know some things about the Holy Spirit, but it's probably a short list, right? We know the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. If we know the Nicene Creed, we know the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. But other than that, we probably don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit because the Bible actually doesn't say much about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, he's talked about, but his work isn't exactly described. I think the closest we come to it is a section of teaching that Jesus spoke to his disciples before his own death. And he starts talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And again, I think they had no idea what he was actually saying, but maybe it makes more sense now to us. He said, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus begins to talk about the Spirit. He says, the Spirit's going to be your advocate. See, that's what the Spirit does. It, it advocates for you before the Father, and it also advocates for you before the world. Not only that, but the Spirit dwells with you and, and in you. It's God's presence resting with you. It's, it's the assurance that you are not alone. You are not forsaken. It's, it's God's very real presence. Jesus goes on later and he says, all this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit here is, is going to be a teacher, right? He will instruct us. He will help us understand the scriptures. He will help remind us of everything that Jesus said and did. And, and then a little later, he goes on and he says this. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus says the Spirit will testify about him. The Spirit will keep on speaking about who Jesus is and why he matters and what he did. And, and not only that, but the Spirit will empower us to testify. The Spirit will empower us to be witnesses. See, throughout the scriptures, the Spirit is called an advocate, uh, the Spirit's called a counselor, the Spirit's called a comforter, the Spirit's called lots of things, but, but I, here, here's, here's what I want you to focus on today. I want you to focus on the fact that the Holy Spirit was a key, was the key to how Christians began to change their very broken world. Which makes me wonder, so what's going on today? Here we are, we're living in the days of Pentecost, after Pentecost, where the Spirit is still given to, to anyone. We're living in, in a time where, where I believe God still has a will to change this world and to bring peace to it and to bring more people under the, the rule and reign of his son, Jesus. So, so why is it that our influence is, is shrinking, at least here in our country? Why is it that, that there's so much brokenness increasing rather than, than peace and wholeness increasing in our world? Why is it that instead of seeing 3,000 people added to our numbers every weekend, we literally watch as thousands of people exit the church in America every weekend? See, if the Spirit's still active, if the Spirit's still here, if we're still living in the days of the Holy Spirit, then what on earth is going on? Has God forsaken us? Has he given up on us? Is it just that people have grown too hard-hearted? See, I think there's a bigger reason that is, that is plaguing our world, and it starts with us, the people of God. Here's the reason. I believe that we've gotten too used 
to being strong. I believe we've gotten too used to being strong. See, if you go to the places where the Spirit of God is moving in our world today, places like China, places like Latin America, places like Africa, you won't, you won't find Christianity that looks like ours. There the gospel is going forward. The, the Spirit of God is working in places like Cambodia. I've laid eyes on it. I've seen it. It's incredible. And then you think about what's happening in Europe. You think about what's happening in America. And it's just kind of mind-blowing because here we are. And we, we are people who've got resources, right? We've got institutions dedicated to Jesus Christ, hospitals and, and colleges and universities and graduate schools. We've got massive churches that have great equipment and, and staff and we've got all of this stuff. We've got every resource at our disposal. Man, we've, we've got people in politics who are lobbying for our agenda. We've got leaders who are elected on a platform that is, that is a Christian values platform. So what on earth is going on? How can the gospel be flourishing in China where Christianity is illegal and they have no status or power and, and be suffering so much here? I think the reason is because we've gotten too used to being strong. See, the problem is when you're strong, when you've got intelligence, when you've got wealth, when you've got influence, when you have power and status, when you have those things, it can be so easy to rely on those things, Right? There's such a great temptation to trust in those things, to cling to those things, to use those things as your first recourse when things get crazy. Well, we're going to work harder and we're going to be smarter and we're going to work our way out of this. We're going to fix our world, right? But again, go back to Acts. 120 people living in a broken world who had no power or influence or education or anything else. And what did they turn to? They waited in a room in Jerusalem for something to happen. And when the Holy Spirit came on them, that changed everything. See, we've gotten too used to being strong. And as a result, we're not living needy, not needy enough for God anymore. We're not living needy for the Holy Spirit. We're not willing to wait and watch for God to move. I, I think we've even given up asking for the Holy Spirit, frankly. And, and Jesus says that's all it takes. If you want more of the Spirit, if we want more of the Spirit in our country, in our churches, in our own lives, this is what Jesus says. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How do you get more of the Spirit in your life? I'm asking you how. Answer. You ask, right? But when is the last time you asked for God to, to fill our churches with his Spirit? to fill our homes with his spirit, to fill ourselves with his spirit. See, I think we've gotten too used to being strong. And we're just not asking for what God is so willing to give to us. But let me tell you what happens when you do ask. Some of you remember that a year ago, I was about maybe a, a week, week and a half into my new role here as, as the new senior pastor. And as I began that, it just became clear to me that, that because our world is so broken and because I believe the local church is the hope of the world and because I want to see a movement of God happen here in this church and around the world, that if, if I were to start off my, my, my work here in my new role, just relying on my incredible staff and my own intelligence and my own work ethic, that I wasn't going to get very far. And, and so what we did, if you remember this a year ago, some of you participated in this. Uh, we started off with 40 days of prayer. 
We called it 40 Days of Favor, where we said, hey, you know, we're a gifted church. God's used us powerfully in the past, but let's not take for granted that that's enough for God to move us forward. And so we're going to begin for 40 days under my new leadership, and we're just going to ask God to move. We're going to ask God for his spirit. Uh, And so we prayed for 40 days. We had some different prayer vigils. We prayed in services. We sent out things to remind you to pray. We prayed for four things. 10 days each for 40 days, uh, four things. We said unity first. Then we prayed for the courage to invest and invite in the the people around us. We prayed for financial strength and we prayed for life change. And so uh, for 40 days, we prayed for those things. Some of us on staff have been praying for those things continuously in the last year. And, And now as we sit here a year later, I want to tell you what happened. Unity. I don't believe this church has ever been as unified, at least in my own personal history. The spirit of unity around our mission is stronger than ever. Let's talk about the courage to invest and invite. Do you know that um, our worship attendance was up this last year for the first time in lots of years? Um, and, uh, and we're always growing as a church. We always have new people coming, but, but that's happened in a bigger way. So more people have been showing up and, you know, saying hi at the guest station and more people have been going to getting started, which Chris Toomey talked about more than, than the year before. And so our church is growing. You know what that means? That means that you have been courageous, that you've been investing in people. You've been loving on your neighbors. You've been serving them. You've been living the six as we talk about here. You've been investing in them and you've been inviting them to discover more about the hope that God has for all of us. Uh, that's what that means to me. Financial strength, we just end our fiscal year. Uh, we end it June 30th. And do you know that our giving was up 2% over last year? Which may not sound like a whole lot to you, but, but again, uh, let me remind you, 80% of Protestant churches are stagnant or declining. Not only that, realize, and you probably don't know this, that in most transitions, leadership transitions like the one we just went through, it's not uncommon for giving and attendance to fall 5 or 10%, but not here. See, our giving's actually up 2% over last year. That means we're financially strong. We're going to end the year. We did end the year with a small surplus. Praise God for that, right? And then life change, life change. Oh my goodness, the life change of the last year. If, if you don't see this happening in our church, you're not paying attention, frankly, because we've been making it clear for you what God is doing in our midst. And, you know, we did it with that inspired service back in the fall. And if you miss that, go back and watch that service in the archives. You will be blown away at what God is doing in this place. And those stories have continued. And you've told me your stories. And, and then just a couple of weeks ago, we heard that, empow- that incredibly powerful story of Aaron. And how God's been moving in her life. And, and you know the stories that I've heard since that? It's just incredible. Now, now, do you think any of this is a coincidence that we asked for these things a year ago and God has done all of these things? Is anyone willing to say, yeah, I just think that's good luck? Or Dion, I think you're that awesome of a leader that you just accomplished that by sheer will or might or power. Is anyone willing to say that in here? Or could it be possible that the Father really does give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And the Spirit of God is moving and accomplishing great things in our church, in our community, and in our world. But in the meantime, what do you hear from Christians in America today? You know what I hear? I hear a lot of complaining. I hear a lot of resentment. I hear a lot of frustration about how we are not the favored people anymore. We're losing our status. We're losing our power. We're losing our respect. We're even losing Christ in Christmas at Target. And I'll tell you what, I know for some of you, shopping is a holy experience. But, 
but no one ever came to Jesus in Target, I'm convinced. Not Christmas shopping, at least. See, see, that's what we find ourselves complaining about. We complain that the late night comedians make fun of us and that the news media is biased against us. Can I be frank about something? Who cares? Who cares? Because once in time, there were 120 people who had no power, wealth, status, respect of anyone, and yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because they waited for it, they changed the world 3,000 people were added to the church in a single day. See, instead of complaining about how we're treated in this world and our loss of status and our loss of influence and our loss of importance and our loss of respect, what if we spent all that time instead asking for the Holy Spirit? And what if like those first disciples, what if, what if we just wouldn't move a muscle? What if we watched and waited for God to do a work of his spirit? And then after God showed up and gave us his spirit, what if then we took the, the wealth and the power and the, and the intelligence and all those other gifts that God has given people like us? And what if we added those things on top of the foundation of the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine then what God could do in our world? See, what was old is now new again. I think increasingly, as, as you dive into the book of Acts, you're going to see a w- world that's, that, that will look familiar to you, and I think it's going to get more and more familiar to us all the time. But I hope that doesn't scare you. Instead, I hope it excites you to know that, that we're moving back into a world that is tough, that is tough on Christians, that isn't easy. It, is, it, it isn't the favored world that we maybe lived in for the last few centuries. And yet it's a world where at one point in time, God moved in unprecedented ways. And the people of God got to see God work in and through them to bring life and wholeness and miraculous works to the, uh, to the world around them. See, I hope as we go further into the series and we look at the other catalysts that God used to change the world, that you're not fearful, you are excited, you're leaning in. But above all, what I hope is that over the course of this series, more than anything else, that you, we, together, we just start asking for the Holy Spirit. That we set aside our strength, that we quit relying on ourselves, and we ask, and we wait for God to bring us power from on high, because that's how God changed the world once, and I believe that's how God will change our world again. So right now, Let's do this. Let's, let's ask for this. I'm going to prompt you right now with some, uh, some prompts. And I'm going to invite you to pray. Because I want this to be your prayer, not mine. And uh, I know some of you in, in here, you don't, you're like, I don't really know how to pray. And this is a great chance for you just to learn that prayer is just talking. You're just talking to God. You're just, you're just speaking to God. And he's not there. You can't see him exactly. But you, know, you can close your eyes and imagine he's there and you just talk and you don't have to say fancy words and God's not going to get caught up in your language. Just be honest and have a conversation with God and, and above all, ask. Ask for the things that he promises to give you if you only ask. So uh, right now, bow your heads with me and I'm going to prompt you to pray for some things. First, I want you just to tell God how great he is. Not because he needs to hear it, but because you need to say it. Acknowledge the goodness that God has shown to you today, this week, in the last year. Acknowledge that he's loving and kind. Go ahead and and just praise, honor God 
for who he is and who he's demonstrated himself to be in your life. I want you to take a moment and to admit the things that have gotten in the way of your relationship with God and the things that have gotten in the way of your relationships with people. I want you to, I want you to confess those things, admit those things to God, those actions you have taken, those attitudes that you've had that have damaged your relationship with God, damaged your trust in him, but also damaged your relationships with other people. Go ahead and confess that too often you've relied on your own power and strength and wisdom to fix your own problems and to fix the world's problems. Acknowledge your anger and frustration. Go ahead and confess. I want you to ask. I want you to ask God first and foremost for his Holy Spirit. But go ahead and ask for the other things that our world needs that you might need. I'm going to ask you to pray for that officer who was shot here in Baldwin who's, who's uh, fighting for his life. I ask you to pray for the families of people who have been lost to violence here in our country or even in far off places. I'm going to ask you to, to go ahead and ask God to bring peace to our violence, starting with each and every one of us. But, but above all, please ask for the Holy Spirit. Finally, I want you to thank God for hearing you. I want you to thank him for always being mindful of you, for always being attentive. I want you to thank him for Jesus. Thank him for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank him for being a good father. 
Thank him for already working out answers to the things you just asked for before you even see the answers. Thank him because you know that he's moved to help you and his ways are higher and may look different than what you expect, but he is at work on your behalf because you're his sons and daughters. Thank him for hearing you. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.